What's up everyone and welcome to episode 167 of the Just an Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. I uh, hope everyone is well and isn't getting too bummed out about sort of new lockdown restrictions that seem to be coming into action all over the country, specifically the north and parts of Wales and Scotland. It's starting to be a bit of a fucking joke what our government thinks are, are the right things to do at the moment. Um, and I know at the moment it's especially hard for people that have worked in the entertainment and music industry um, with our government basically telling us to get quote-unquote real jobs. It's, yeah, it's an absolute fucking joke. But yeah, I hope people are kind of looking after themselves, doing what they can to, to keep doing what they love and just, yeah, grinding out as, as we always do within these tough times. It seems like people in... The music world always seems to find a way of of turning things around. So I hope if that is that applies to you, then I hope yeah, just keep on keep on trucking. I guess. Um, apart from that, isn't a whole lot to kind of report from this week. My ends. Um, yeah, each week there just seems to be less and less to kind of talk about at the moment with nothing going on. But um, however, there is just one thing I want to say before we get to this week's guest. Um, and that is that next week there isn't going to be an episode because I'm actually taking a holiday. I know, right? A holiday in 2020. Who the fuck do I think I am? Um, but no, just going away for for a few days to kind of recharge. So I'm not going to be around to sort of edit and uh, upload an episode for next week. But don't fear, I do have people, uh, sorry, episodes in the can. So it's not the case that I don't have anyone lined up or anything. It's just I'm having a break. So normal business will resume uh, on October 27th. So yeah, check back in with an awesome, awesome episode then. Anyway, let's get to this week's guest. And this is one that I wanted to do face to face, but because of obviously current circumstances wasn't possible. But I am joined by Ithaca Katara's Sam and Welsh. Um, me and Sam have known each other for a few years, uh, but we obviously talk about this in the chat. But they were the last band I was working with and out with pre-coronavirus um actually everything kind of started hitting the fan whilst we were out in Denmark and we had to kind of hottail it back to the UK um but during the, the talk we talk about Sam sort of discovering religion as a youngster and how that kind of put him on a musical platform and gave him a space to actually perform music um how he kind of changes his persona once he steps out onto stage nowadays and how Ithaca grew from being uh, three childhood friends um, to the band it is today, now jamming and playing sort of festivals around Europe and touring around Europe. So, yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Sam, and I'll see you on the other side. So, right, so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast, uh, a bit of a a special one for me because it was the last band I was with pre-coronavirus. Uh, I'm joined by guitarist of Metalcore... Uh, I don't know what I'm going for here. Band. Metalcore <laughs> bands, yeah. Guitarist <laughs> Sam Chettenwell. Sam, thank you very much for, for taking some time out of your weekend. How how no are you doing? Man. How is everything? Yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is It is really funny. I was thinking earlier this week about like it must be so weird for you as well. Like the last thing that I was doing before lockdown was like, I don't know, stuck in the Euro tunnel, 
like with you and <laughs> the rest of the guys and like i don't know just yomping about europe in a van um, um, and singing weird really advert jingles yeah that is true yeah um that was that was my wife's doing but probably mercifully to be honest because we were all like losing our minds we got stuck in the euro t- i mean not even stuck we were just in the euro tunnel and we've been driving for what like i mean you you were the hero on that day you, it was like we would it was did we do the hamburg yeah. back to london ha- drive all in a day yeah, yeah. Ham- so yeah. we were like god i don't know whatever it was 12 hours in and all losing our minds and lewis probably had coronavirus although we don't know that for sure but he thinks he did and so we were all just like completely deranged and my wife just started being like right add jingles from the 90s and everyone was just like washing machines live longer with Calgon and like all the football lads who came past and were like Way! like singing along and stuff it was yeah it was great so yeah that, that was quite a time yeah and it's like because I remember I spoke to Dom like a little bit uh sort of like into it and like mm. uh, it's weird because I think at the time we were all sort of a bit not skeptical but like oh yeah it'll be sort of done and dusted in x amount of months and here we are like mm. god knows how many into it so yeah, i don't know yeah. like we had a euro tour booked for may that i was like oh you never know uh, no <laughs> you do know yeah. now we do know but, it's like no that just wasn't wasn't happening like i don't know like did it not necessarily like band stuff but did kind of like your perspective change like on how things have been like i don't know like mm what what kind of changed for you like when everything did shut down mm. um do you mean in like in life in my band life well, all bit, of the above? both yeah yeah i mean to be honest yeah i'm in, in a position of real real luck really to be honest because like both my wife and i like we've got secure accommodation we've got reasonably secure work like we're kind of we don't have young kids we need to look at you know we're like reasonably fine so to be honest i mainly took um the uh kind of like upheaval of life that corona caused to do two major things really one was basically like have a big oh this is a whole long story which i went bored people <laughs> with but like a whole the whole big sort of mental health like overhaul basically yeah. and like confront the things i'd been running away from because i couldn't avoid them anymore by being busy and then on the more positive side, like I've got a lot of writing done for the new record, which I definitely wouldn't, I, there's no way I would have made this much progress in normal times yeah. because I was just with, like my wheels were just spinning way too fast. Like with, as, as, as you probably know, like, you know, holding down a full-time job, particularly if your job's reasonably busy and then like booking tours and gigs, even if you've got a booking agent or whatever, like that is, that's a lot. And then trying to write as well, like there's just one of those things has to, at least for me, one of those things just has to go. Like I couldn't cram all of those yeah, things yeah. as well as like trying to see my friends and family and like live a live a reasonable life. But um, yeah, during current times, because I've just been forced to just sit down and like the only thing, like the only things I can do really are like faff around on the PS2 that I bought at the beginning of lockdown <laughs> or write music. It has been really creatively productive and I've gone back and done a lot of theory, like actual grown up music theory that I definitely should have done when I was a teenager. Um, but I've, yeah, no better time than now, really. That's cool. um, and that's been good. So I've been like getting into, yeah, so look out for a lot more like jazz guitar <laughs> on the new record and a lot more like flamenco and neo soul. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. That's cool. Um, yeah, sorry, go no, on. No, 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 that's cool. So I'm going to sort of like kick things off how I usually do and how mm-hmm. I kind of always start things. It's like, 
How did you kind of get into alternative music? Like, what was your kind of first exposure of it? Yeah, my first exposure. So I think it started with my dad, who um, a bit of a, he's a funny guy. Like, um, he's this like he's this like working class guy from Bradford, but like loved Thatcher, like loved Thatcher. Okay. Yeah, like this is just one of the many interesting sort of um, <laughs> like enigmatic things about him. He loved Thatcher, but also like he had a really, really broad music taste. Like, you know, like dads, a lot like like white dads by and large, it's like Queen and that that's kind of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas he loved, he loved like, he got me into like, um, oh, I'm trying to think, well, like he just really loved like all kinds of music. He loved classical music. He loved um, like lots of the Delta blues musicians like Elmore James and even earlier like Robert Johnson and all this sort of stuff. And like, just, he had just had a really broad palette for stuff. Like he really loved Lauren Hill. My sister got him into Lauren Hill and he was absolutely obsessed with her. And like, I don't know, he just had a really, really open mind for music. And so, um, I don't know, it was just like um, having that environment where I would get, get in the car with my dad and he'd put on some CD and I'd be like, even if I hated it when I was a kid because I didn't know what it was, I'd be like, oh, this is boring or this is stupid or whatever. I think just being exposed to like a really wide yeah, yeah. palette of music was really interesting because it's like, it, ch- it challenges your ideas from a really young age of like what people have to listen to. Like he was doing that in, my dad was doing that in his life, like defying a lot of expectations in terms of the kind of music he was listening to. But I remember the um, the point of like, right, the track, like the railway track is going from one in one direction to another was actually on a family holiday. Um, and my dad put um, like some Beatles greatest hits on and there's a Beatles song called Paperback Writer. Have you ever heard it? I don't think so, no. It's not that well known, but it's like, it's like a good shoot. It's just one of their sort of like more upbeat numbers, but it's got this sort of guitar riff and like quite driving drums and stuff. And because I was like eight or nine years old, I just remember like, it was like the ending of 2001. I remember just like like seeing Beyond the Infinite and I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> this is it. This is like, this is music. Like, this is what happens when you can like, that was the first idea where, I, the first time where I ever conceived of like, um, like rock music, like the idea that like music can be like, oof, it can have a bit of like oomph to it. And then like, after that it that it was just all downhill from there really it was like <laughs> obviously like i think you're with we're a similar sort of age aren't we you like i'm 31 day one. yeah yeah right cool yeah so like we we were very i think really lucky to grow up in the last the last point in memory where like um rock guitar music and guitar culture had some kind of like um cultural not hegemony, hegemony, but like a sort of a massive cultural influence, yeah. you know, like pro wrestling, Tony Hawks, all that stuff was like a big, it was millions of people who were into that. It wasn't like a niche thing. And so if you started, if you started pulling that thread, you, it was really easy, I think, for us to go down that path of like, oh yeah, guitar music, heavy music. And then you had like a really clear, um, well, uh, conveyor belt that you could go on that was like right you start with your new metal stuff and then you get a bit heavier and then you start getting into screaming and you know like it all went from there like I was obsessed with pro wrestling as I was, I was obsessed with the Tony Hawk's games all the all the usual stuff yeah there, um for our generation but I think yeah so many of us started on that path and that's what's what's brought us here so in terms of like the heavier stuff like was anyone kind of like putting you onto it or was it as you say like playing those 
sort of games and being into wrestling and hearing that stuff that you kind of like your ear became sort of attuned to it and then you sort of went digging yourself yeah you know what it was actually this is another another thing that i think was a bit unique to our generation was we sort of like um i don't know if this is the same same for you but i've talked to other people in our scene who kind of had this like pre in that weird funny period post um post sort of napster and i guess pre-streaming um like the way I, I definitely like there weren't that many kids in my year who were into heavy stuff yeah, like yeah. The, the majority of the people in my year who were into heavy music are now in my band <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. it's like my mate lewis who's you know who's my best mate and mm-hmm. the drummer and will is like um you know he's our guitar player who's like one of the other guys into heavy music like there is a group but not that many of us and so i definitely um I used to, I was, I was really into like, there were some really key like metal blogs and websites. There was this metal site called metaljudgment.com, which I was obsessed with when I was a teenager, because like, that was such a gift pre-streaming in terms of like, oh, you like this? Here's this. And and that was how I got into Meshuggah, Machine Head, uh, At The Gates, um, you know, like what what for me felt like the transition from like new metal to like grown what felt like grown up metal. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Like that was like um, really genuinely challenging music. You know, like the eighties thrash stuff, like Exodus and bands like that, and even like at the drive-in and those kind of bands. It was that was where I was like, okay, this is a whole other thing. And I used to, I love getting people into stuff. And so I used to like, I used to send Lewis and sometimes Will, like I'd download a song, obviously because we had LimeWire. Um, I used to like LimeWire, I'd, I'd like LimeWire Davidian and send it to Lewis or link it, link it to him and be like, dude, this is, this is it. Like, this is what you got to get listened to. And like, um, I don't know. I remember, um, I remember had, I had a copy of Tools Anima and giving, giving another guy in my year the other earphone and being like, this this is like you know this is the shit and like you know in a sort of like yeah because i'm so, like i'm pretty as you know i'm pretty like wide-eyed and um over earnest about things anyway and that was no uh exception yeah so yeah but like i guess to the to go back to kind of what kind of set you on that path you kind of mentioned like the new metal sort of side of things but like was there kind of a specific bands that you can remember like listening to that were you were like okay like you said like with Tool and Davidian a bit later down the line but like that first jumping in point when you were like oh shit this is this is my jam this is like what I want to be into sort of thing yeah kind of I'm trying to think what the big the big trans there's a couple that come to mind because like yeah the new metal stuff was I was huge on that I was massive Biscuit fan actually like the first ever the first ever albums I bought with my own money um were Nevermind and the first Slipknot record. So I was already like kind of ready to like move on from just straight new metal yeah. to like something else. But I remember, um, I think it was because I went, uh, yeah, I think when I remember really vividly, um, when I was about 13, 14, my mum took us to India for the first time, was like, right, we're going as a family to India, we're going to do it like see relatives, see family, see the sites, like you, you know, in, like, um, you know, this is part of your heritage. Like it was a very intentional trip. Yeah. Um, and just really randomly on that trip, I remember we went, there was a, a record shop in Mumbai and CDs were so cheap in India because of the, you know, the, the inflation or whatever, you know, the relative currencies. And I remember I got um, 
a Greatest Hits of Iron Maiden, Master of Puppets, and um, some other old school metal album for like, I don't know, four pounds or something. <laughs> nice. And I remember that kind of thing that like it was it was like Maiden and Metallica, I think, were really the bands where I was like, aha, okay, th- this, you know, this is the this is the step forward from from new metal but before you screaming you know like because scre- i couldn't deal with screaming for many years yeah, as, as yeah. many of us couldn't you know like screaming you have to like it's like adjusting your spice tolerance isn't it you have to like work yourself up to it um yeah yeah metallica and made metallic i was a huge metallica fan when i was when i was a teenager i mean still now i love metallica but like yeah they were they were a big deal a lot of my taste to be honest like is quite like basic like i just like the stuff that everyone thinks is good yeah, like, yeah. i just like those things i'm like oh yeah burn my eyes is the best metal album of the 90s never mind's the best punk album that i just like all the stuff that everyone likes it's not i don't have a particularly like i don't have many hot takes <laughs> on music <laughs> yeah. to be honest so yeah so then i guess kind of like transitioning to like as you say kind of downloading stuff off limewire and and things like that and kind of Maybe not necessarily what's more in line to what Ithaca's playing, but like, I mm. guess finding the quote unquote less mainstream bands and stuff. And like, because did you grow up in London? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, just outside of London, like on the border of South London, sorry, but yeah, I went to school near Croydon, and like, we're going to London yeah. weekends and stuff. So, in terms of like, just because obviously London's always been like a hotbed for the music scene and things like that. Obviously, mm. from your big arena shows to like DIY shows, sort of thing. So mm. when was the point that you were discovering, like, because obviously you're already into, like, the heavier stuff, but when were you discovering more DIY stuff and the kind of more underground side of things? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Like, to be honest, so the thing is, like, what's what I find really funny um, about when people review uh, Ithaca is that, like, they're always they're always talking about bands and like I love I love it that they do but they're always talking about bands that I was never really into when I was a teenager. Okay. They're like, oh these guys love uh Poison the Well and Seven Angels Seven Plagues and all that and I was like, well, I mean I like I I really like those bands now after the fact <laughs> because people kept comparing us to them. I was like, oh I didn't really like I didn't really listen to them that much when I was growing up to be honest. And so like I didn't really come up like through hardcore properly. I was much more into metal. Yeah. And then, like, I got into, I got into like metalcore through the that great. I thought it was brilliant, like that that sort of new wave of American heavy metal thing that happened in the noughties. So you know, like, it's like the um, the, one of my best, one of the best like live experiences I've ever had was I went to download in two thousand and five, and the second stage on the second day was like my heavy music taste. Right. It was like so. So it was um. Lamb of God touring Ashes of the Wake, Mastodon touring Leviathan, Every Time I Die, Under Oath, Unearth, and uh, Meshuggah. Meshuggah yeah. headline that. That's the Owen oh, Chimera and In Flames played over the weekend. And it was like all that stuff. I was like, this is it. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily get into like DIY. I, I like, I've been, you know, I've always loved like punk music and DIY music, but I didn't really kind of come to the, come to that stuff until we started being a band until we started kind of playing the toilet circuit and realizing <laughs> yeah. like you know oh yeah you can like yeah that that was a, a real like and and when we got but bo- we kept getting booked for like 
very generously for like hardcore and beatdown shows that was when i got into lots more hardcore and the diy world yeah. and now that's a lot more of an important part of my life but it was yeah yeah it wasn't wasn't a thing back then for me to be honest but again it's this thing of like i was like there weren't that weren't loads of kids in my year into heavy heavy music and i was not cool enough or interesting enough to like go to like you know ninja fest or like the hardcore stuff that was all the yeah. stuff that, the, the hardcore stuff that was happening in london like i was too i was too like sort of relatively shy and nervous to go to any of that i just wasn't cool enough i was just like i was too much of a dog <laughs> yeah. and like the other the other actually the other really rogue element that we could talk about if you want but we do not have to talk about it because it's a bit um uh a bit funny but like um i was very religious when i was a teenager okay so i would definitely so, talk about um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So there were older kids in my church, in my youth group at church, who were well on the Christ Core thing. Okay. And like, um, so they got me into Under Oath, and they got me into As I Lay Dying, and they got me into like, you know, um, August Burns Red, and all the, I mean, loads of other. But that whole that whole post hardcorey thing became a massive part of my life through them, really, through like it, the fact that it's like, oh, these guys are like, these guys are Christian as well, but oh they're also playing bands and oh that's cool and all this sort of stuff and so that was like yeah that that was my sort of meant that I didn't have to like hang out with kids I wasn't cool enough yeah, to hang yeah. out with but still got into a lot of that music so um I do yeah. just want to touch upon like your the religious kind of aspect because like uh-huh. and obviously feel free to kind of dodge this if you don't feel comfortable talking about it but obviously yeah, yeah, like yeah. you've kind of mentioned obviously like your Indian heritage but did we like sort of brought up in a in a Christian religion then, rather than? No, not at all. So, um, yeah, my mum was like, my mum had been raised Hindu and fairly strictly Hindu, but had moved away from a lot of that because of how strict a lot of her upbringing was, and so we didn't have that much. I mean, we did do certain Hindu things. We had like Diwali and you know other like Raki and these other these other Hindu f- traditions that we'd observe. But we never really we never really went to temple mm. and um yeah that wasn't a big a big thing and my dad wasn't religious at all although he was pretty open-minded about stuff it was actually my sister got me into going to church quote unquote as it were um i went along with her when i was um about 13 or 14 and um I mean, like the thing, the thing, it's really hard to describe to people who've never been in a proper religious community before, like um, the power that it can have when you're like, it's, you know, like when you're a teenager, the fundamental thing that you're clinging to is a sense of identity and a sense of stability. Yeah. And the church, a church is offer that in spades and they give you a sense of like, if they do, they can massively empower you. So like through the church, I got to like, that was the first time I ever played in bands first time I ever learned anything about gear, first time I ever got to like like perform live in front of people with a microphone, in front of like hundreds, sometimes thousands of people in, you know, in weird, you know, playing bass or doing music. You know, I would like give loads of like talks and stuff and, you know, I'd lead groups doing all this sort of, you know, like when I was a teenager and they made, the, the church made me believe I could do it. It offered me a community, it offered people like older people who could look after me, who could like introduce me to all this cool music. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a sort of um it's a very stabilizing thing mm. when that's exactly what you're looking for. Um 
so that and that is what it provided at the time even though obviously it was laden with all sorts of like deeply deeply problematic ideas yeah. and um fundamentally flawed beliefs about like what humans do and don't have value and you know hell and all that sort of stuff so yeah so it was it was more it was it was like through people yeah that I got into the church and my sister and, and all the friends i made there i think it's quite interesting because like i think people maybe not agree with this but in some aspects like especially with the diy world like mm. people were drawn to that because of the sense of community and things that it, it builds Definitely. and like okay for all its fundamental flaws religion does provide that for people and i can see why like somebody that's younger that is kind of quote-unquote searching for their identity would be kind of drawn to that so i guess there's some kind of similar parallels in that aspect i think there is almost identical parallels and i think people are people are like unwise to underestimate how how similar they are they really are having been in both they're the same like it's so similar and actually like you know like all these things when you're a teenager you're a zealot about everything you know like you're just like overly passionate about everything and so that's where the problematic stuff comes from i mean like i don't know the, the thing I, like it's it's weird i have a really complicated relationship to to the church that i grew up in because on the, on the one hand i'm so grateful that they like you know they gave me an outlet to do all these cool things and feel empowered and feel like i could lead people without feeling like i had to like it, it basically meant i had like social activities where i didn't have to get fucked up all the time <laughs> yeah like, and as a teenager, like that is good. Like I do think that is a good a good thing to provide things for people to do that aren't just like getting fucked up in the park. And then on the other side, obviously, yeah, as as with any overzealous community, it also yeah, it excluded huge amounts of people who weren't right, weren't the right fit, you know, that kind of thing. And I think like um it's funny you say that because I can see people like clawing after like a sense of community and a sense of purpose and what the problem the like the problem is that non-spiritual institutions are really struggling to give people that and they can but it's like it, it is difficult people really like that you know people really like having a sense of um a sense of collective value of collective endeavor mm. yeah and that's that's just the big challenge is like how do we create that same sense of community bond um a belief in a cause that is great greater than like exactly what we want to do our individual pursuit without it being like oh also all this weird stuff about gay people you know like <laughs> yeah. we, like that's the big a big challenge you know like yeah so i'm with you on that um, like I, I think i know the answer to this but like what's your kind of relationship with with religion now like i don't know do you not that you're you're glad that you kind of went through that experience but like uh-huh. do you feel like if you hadn't things would have been different like i don't know like where, where do you kind of stand with things now yeah 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 good question um yes it is such a it's such a mixed bag emotionally thinking about that because it was such an important part of my life and such an important part of like how i defined myself for so long as lewis and will will tell you because like you know like like at school I led all the Christian Union stuff and it, like it was just something it was something I was known for it's such a big part of my life um I'm so grateful for the opportunities it gave me that I said earlier to like do loads of crazy cool things that have been essential in being able to do 
a lot of the things I do now yeah. in work and in band, you know, feeling confident to speak in front of people or play music or whatever it is. But at the same time, I had to really unpick a lot of a lot of trauma after I left, you know, like about how I what where was my inherent where does my inherent value come from? You know, like I went to Africa for six months in an experience that was really like quite problematic for various reasons, like ostensibly like to do Christian charity work. Yeah, yeah. It was like really messy and complicated. And yeah, so I just feel but I do the thing is I do have a really strong belief that like um spirituality in a broad sense like the idea that there are things that are greater than you is not an inherently bad thing which is something that i do disagree with sometimes disagree with atheists on who have a fairly strict understandably a fairly like no like there <laughs> yeah. is what we can see like you know like there isn't not, not all atheists are like this i do not want to paint, paint them into a corner but some people are very like um strong on the idea that like spiritual like belief in the you know like ineffable things and like um you know things that are more like profound or you know rituals crucially i think are like a really powerful thing that we do you know like funerals and weddings and all these sort of things that have value beyond just like the doing of them yeah um uh yeah i'm a big believer that we should like lean into that we should lean into the idea that those things have significance beyond just the thing in themselves um and that like yeah spirituality rituals practice these things can be really healthy and now i mean now everyone's doing mindfulness meditation so i feel like the kind of the arguments like kind of like <laughs> yeah. not one but it's like you know everyone people are looking to those kind of things for some sense of like grounding um and it doesn't have to have a god name or a god figure or a figurehead or any of these things you know yeah so yeah i don't know and like yeah if that, no no <laughs> sorry, no, no. If it's a, it's a, I don't know if that's a bit of a garble. No, that's cool. And just think about it a lot. because we're on the point at the moment, and I don't want to, I'll kind of come back to it in a bit, but you mentioned obviously like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like following like Hindi sort of uh, mm. traditions, that's the word. Yeah. So, but like obviously you said like not kind of having a Hindu upbringing and things like that, but like, it, when we were on tour like you kind of briefly mentioned about like i want to bring this up in a bit but obviously potentially mm. touring india and stuff like that but oh man ha yeah have you kind of like i don't know maybe as you've got older like not saying that it's again kind of because of like the religious connotations but like that you've kind of found an appreciation for your heritage a bit more or like is that just something that's always been there from your mum yeah that's a good question so like I can remember being quite like open and explicit about it from when I was a teenager. And I think it's partly because my mum was pretty like, my mum was very passionate that, um, particularly because she married a British person, that we not lose everything just because the a lot of the Hinduism, the, a lot of the religious practice she'd grown up with was really horrible to her and very strict, yeah, and exclusive and all this sort of stuff she was very she still thought like you know you should she she believed that it was stuff we should know about we spent a lot of time with her parents my grandparents you know like eating the food you know i love food, like, <laughs> love food. Like, eat and talk about and cook indian food at literally any opportunity like um yeah but like my sister used to go around to because her school was near my grandparents she used to go around there like every day of the week i used to go around there at least a couple of times a week like um my mum got us into like Bollywood music and 
I don't know. Yeah, it was it was part of the background noise. And I think we sit in this weird position. Like I've got I've got like obviously some of my cousins are like fully Indian, quote unquote, and I've got Indian mates who are a bit more like not bothered about the Indian stuff because I think because it's not like it's not something that they that they were they felt like growing up that they had to like fight for. It was just there yeah. and they could pick it up or not pick it up. Whereas for me and my sister, it was a bit more like, no, 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 it's really important to our mum that we preserve this stuff. And it's cool. It like makes you, it's different. It's interesting. It's like, you know, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a thing about you. That's, that's a bit more, bit more unique. Yeah. And um, yeah, definitely also, you know, like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely like a um, bit of a rabbit holer in terms as, as, you know, like I love, like pulling a thread of something and finding loads of cool stuff and that's definitely been true with a lot of the Indian stuff like with food and music like if you start on one person then you can find all these cool things been back to India a bunch of times in recent years and with my wife my wife loves Indian culture as well and like yeah it's something I'm it's something I'm really uh, I'm something I'm proud of something I'm protective of and something that I would like to like keep around in some capacity in fact all my cousins say that like me and my sister are the ones who are like the keepers of like some of that (laughs) old stuff because like we know more about these like 60s bollywood people than they do because it's as i say like if if it's just there and you just take it for granted it's like oh yeah yeah whatever it's not a big deal or if you have to go to like a six hour wedding in you know in bloody Portsmouth on a Saturday, then it's like, oh no, I don't, <laughs> I don't love this whole Indian thing. Like, this is lame. Well, but, if we um, get back onto sort of like the music side of things, so in, you've kind of touched upon like playing in bands and stuff in church and things, but in terms of you actually picking up an instrument, was guitar always what you wanted to do, or did you kind of dabble with anything before settling? Where did that all kind of come into it? Yeah, so like, um, even though. God bless her. My mum was like a very, um, uh, she was a culturally like open-minded person. There were, there were aspects of her that were so traditionally Indian. And one of them was like, she was like really insistent that me and my sister learned piano when we were kids right. for some bizarre reason. It was just part of like, we had to do like too many activities when we were young kids. I remember turning to my mum and being like, mum, I've got like an extracurricular thing every night of the week. I'm like, I'm like in <laughs> retrospect, I'm so blessed to have had apparently cared that much to force me to do all this boring stuff but like um she was like you have to learn piano I was like why I don't really I really don't know why and I just sort of phoned it in for a couple of years and then like um and my dad had an old acoustic guitar and I was like actually I'm gonna be honest I, I, this piano stuff sucks can I learn guitar <laughs> um and then actually um surprisingly both my mum and dad were really cool with it um and I started on bass actually oh, okay. because I took like, I took a couple of guitar lessons with this guy with this really cool guy, who was like um, in the middle, kind of in the middle of nowhere near where, where I grew up. And he he was really into he was really into funk, and um, he was like an he was a cool guy. He was like an ex punk guy, and he was into like Jacob Pastorius and like Stanley Clark and a lot of seventies funk, Brazilian funk, all this sort of stuff. And he was playing his bass and I was like, ooh, what's that? And like, um, the other thing that the, the bloody kids don't know these days is how much of a prominent cultural force the Red Hot Chili Peppers were at the time. <laughs> yeah. so, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to play bass like Flea. Like, that's sick. I love that sound. And also like, no one plays bass. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It just felt like a different thing to do. And so my parents got me um, a cheapo bass when I was, uh, for my 13th birthday. Uh, and that was that basically. Um, 
and um, I played in like a sort of a funk rock band when I was a teenager that I sat up with a couple of guys from my church, which was really fun. That was like my first ever sort of gig. I mean, we were terrible. Well, we were terrible. We also weren't because they were both sick at their instruments, the, like the guitar player and the, the drummer. So we could like actually play, but obviously the music was awful. Yeah, yeah. But um, that was, yeah, that was like my first uh, band experience was that. And then I didn't get into guitar, like six string guitar until sort of, um, till I was about 16, 17. Cause a mate of mine had like a, he had a really terrible guitar going, which I bought for like 30 quid. And I obviously immediately tuned it to drop C and started <laughs> learning kill switch records and stuff. And I was like, right, this is it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my, that was my intro. In terms of like the, the church band, like, Obviously, I'm just this just floating the idea out, but was it like religious music, like Christian music, or was it just a church band, if that makes sense? Yeah. So, um, so the music in the in that strand of like of Christianity, which is like sits under the sort of evangelical umbrella, yeah. and evangelical for people who are listening who don't know that 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 is like those people who are literally trying to like talk to you on the street and be like hey have you heard the word of jesus christ you know <laughs> yeah. you like you know it's that kind of level of cringe but within that within that world there's a big um there's a lot of sort of modern ish churches who play this kind of music that is it's very 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 strongly christian and it is it's called worship music um and it's like singing hymns but they're kind of pop rock songs okay and they're kind of they sound a bit like U2 because they, they just do for for various reasons because they were U2 were a Christian band I suppose they were like all right cool let's do that then for the next 20 years in worship bands but um also because there's a there's a bit of um cross-pollination between the UK and the American and Australian worship stuff right. and they all kind of sound the same and so they have this little little bit of like country rock little bit of pop little bit of rock and it's like very wet carrier bag music um <laughs> but because because of the, the the thing that is cool about it though which i really respect is it's like the the songs themselves start off simple enough so that literally anyone can play them which is a sort of like endearingly democratic thing like that the churches tried to they, they tried to make it so that you could like play them whether you've been playing guitar for a couple of months or 10 years but because of that, you learn a lot about like basic chord structure and you learn a little bit, you by osmosis, you know a little bit about like chord theory and what what makes a good chord progression, what makes a nice sounding pop song, these kind of things, like just playing along to this music. Um so yeah, that 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 was that was huge for me. I learned so much from and also because like if you played in like the main church with the with the grown-ups some of those guys were like semi-professional musicians okay. so they would give tips about like no no turn your tone knob here and no no like play this don't don't overplay because when you're a teenager you just want to like yeah, 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 yeah. you know you just wanna like noodle around and they're like no, no no you're a bass player don't overplay like just like keep the flow or follow the kick or like you know some of the stuff that you just i don't know where you're supposed to pick it up otherwise about like how you make a band sound good um not that I'm saying my band necessarily sounds good, but you know what I mean? Like you just sort of- It gives um, you that kind of structure yeah. sort of thing. It does. It gives you some really good, it gives you a really good sense of direction, yeah. which is which is, which is really helpful for me for sure. Yeah. So then in terms of like heavier stuff, like were you kind of in any other bands? Cause of, uh, we'll talk about like your relationship with Will and Lewis in, in a second, but like, were you in any other heavier bands before Ithaca or was Ithaca like the jumping in point? 
Not really. There was like a sort of quasi-Ithaca that existed for years. Like basically every summer between uni, Lewis, Will and a rotating cast of characters used to get together and try and get something going in our hometown. Um, and like, yeah, I would like write riffs for that and we would try and get something going that like the people, it was always like the extra person either like wasn't that into metal or like wasn't available or you know what I mean or, or we were just like we could just never make it happen and um yeah after years and years basically after uni I was um, you know I was back in back in South London I was like right I want to do this band I wanted to do this band thing since I was a kid I want to make it happen let's get going and I knew so little about where to start because as I say wasn't cool enough to like have mates in the scene so um uh i just put out an ad online on this like budget find a band member website because i was like i have no idea where like how else i'm gonna find these people but i put a couple of um a couple of like slightly more what i thought were more esoteric bands like a couple of like holy raw bands and like the chariot and stuff as the sort of do you like this kind of music well then give me a ring um and uh yeah then we just got lucky we just found drew our original bass player and, and Jamila like just complete bolt like um lightning in a bottle to be honest yeah and the fact that those guys were both into sort of similar vibes similar sort of sounds than us uh was just pure yeah pure luck yeah pure, pure luck yeah so before we kind of dive into Ithaca a bit more deeper like as I said want to kind of touch upon like your relationship with Will and Lewis obviously like Oh, you yeah. guys have yeah, known yeah. each other since like kids kind of thing like going to school yeah, and yeah. Stuff. since we were like 11 12 yeah so like i don't know how has that kind of relationship sort of like built over the years because I, I i don't know like obviously like hanging out with you guys like it makes sense like because of you knowing mm. each other but i think for a lot of people like to keep those friendships going is quite hard and all that stuff let alone being in a band together kind of thing so mm. I don't know, like, is it just because you've all become so close together that, the like, this is no disrespect to, to Mills because I love her to bits, but, like, because you three have, have built up such a close bond that it's just sort of become second nature now and you don't kind of really think about it? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Like, we've we've just, I mean, the lucky, one of the lucky things, as with all things that, that happen over that long a period of time, is we've grown together in the right direction. Yeah. And we still have a similar, we still have similar sort of interests, similar sense of humour, similar manners and demeanours. I mean, although obviously you can, as a sort of external observer, you can report out. You know, <laughs> yeah. But um, the, the thing is, like, in different ways, we're all pretty easygoing people yeah. like me will and lewis different and in, and in ways that actually complement each other so like things that i might get wound up about will and lewis do not get wound up about and vice versa like um yeah and none, none of us are massively easily like panicable or like crisis you know and, and that is like as you know a central thing of being in a band together is you can't get that phased by crisis yeah, and yeah. you can't get that stressed out by like think the wheels coming off literally or figuratively um um and also like yeah i don't know i mean we just like we still make each other laugh like that group including mills like we make each other laugh more than like almost any other group of friends i have 
and that's an, another essential ingredient of being a band and also like i don't know yeah they just like um i'm as you know like very over earnest keen bean but they're not like neither of them both of them are pretty up for stuff as well like they're not they're not only are they not obstructive which is an essential thing in being in a band but they're incredibly helpful yeah and so like if i'm like right we're gonna do we're gonna do this thing and that thing they're like okay yeah cool what do we need to do like when do i need to be there what do i need to do you know they're never like they never make life difficult and i think i see so many bands breaking up and friends like getting wound up with each other who are in bands because they're just not on the same page in terms of what like you're trying to do yeah yeah and they're not on the same page in terms of the vibe whereas because lewis and will are, are both um Mills obviously is too but in terms of you know just talking about the longevity thing like they're both kind of in it they're both in the band they're like yeah yeah they, they just don't they don't like they, they, they're only helpful and like proactive about stuff and like don't know it's a small and stupid thing but it's so for me personally as the sort of band dad is so so helpful to have them there like um yeah calming presence up for anything really nice like you know yeah I think I think that that has really helped, and and also like the fact that we are mates, sort of outside the band, as in the band, like we'll get together and play board games and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, um, it doesn't just the friendship doesn't just exist within the yeah. band. Yeah. You know? So yeah. And then and the history is also fun. Sorry, like I think the history is also really fun. Like, yeah. It's sometimes you just like you say you say some rando from your high school, and you're like that guy looks like that guy, and you're like Bleh, and like it just takes. <laughs> yeah. but I don't know, like there's just a nice thing there's something very comforting and stabilizing i think about having people in your life who've known you since you're an absolute idiot yeah, like, yeah. Either because you were like a complete turd or because you were like painfully religious <laughs> like whatever whatever indiscretion you were up to when you were a teenager they've seen it yeah and so like, yeah i don't know i think it's cool so in terms of you guys like writing music you said there was kind of like the weird like quasi version of ithaca and like you've always kind of tried to get something going Mm-hmm. so like i don't know was that always like an idea between the three of you like and not necessarily from like year dot but like was it always conversations being had that you were like oh maybe we should try something or did it kind of just evolve sort of naturally yeah well we've been in in different ways actually the more i think about it we've actually been like mucking around together the three of us since school like since we were like 14 15 yeah. like will and i have been you know, Will and I got roped into, we always laugh about this, we got roped into doing like god awful GCSE music productions. You know, like if there's like, so if there was a Christmas concert and they needed a bass and a guitar player, they would always ask me. Yeah, there was, there was a kid in my school that was like them. that. He was like, he could always like shred a solo. So he was like, all school performance, let's roll out Barney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, we're going to do um, A Wish It Could Be Christmas by Wizard. <laughs> we need or Slade or whichever one it is it's like we need a guitar player oh yeah Sam's free go on do it and I come with my bass with my like Dillinger escape plan stickers <laughs> on it and play along to play along to Slade um I remember like one of the like there's Will tells a funny story which I'm like my memory is really terrible but like I remember one time there was a time when I was in the sort of little I won't call it a block because that's over generous but like the music cupboard in, in our school um I was like playing Lamb of God, like Late to Rest by Lamb of God out of one of those Roland Cube amps. And Will was like, hmm, <laughs> like, <laughs> hello, <laughs> like, who's that doing that? And I remember we got chatting about it and like, yeah, so in different ways. And, and like um, for our, um, for my GCSE music bass performance thing, we did a cover of 
forest by system of a down with another guy from our school so like me will and lewis and another bloke and it was it was like sick <laughs> it was terrible but it was great um so like yeah we've, we've been playing music together all that time i think it just took to be honest like there was a point it was it was that point after uni where i was like right let's let's actually do this properly because i, I think we can make a make a go of this mm. i think that was the point so then I won't dwell too much on the like Ithaca getting together and all that because if people can look that on the internet and stuff if they want but I just kind of want to get your perspective on the arrival of Mills and I say this with love Mm. like but she is a unique person she's very sort of she's got her own charisma her own charismatic abilities and yeah. I've heard her side and of... We would, we would call her force of nature. But obviously I've heard her side of like being nervous coming into that room. And obviously like you three specifically knowing each other for years, knowing, meeting this complete stranger. Like mm-hmm. what was your, like your first like, impression of, of her? And like, did it... Because like, obviously now like you all bounce off each other so well. But was the chemistry yeah. there instantly kind of thing? Yeah. What's really funny, like, um, it's it's back to that, th- like, the thing I was talking about earlier. Like, when I saw, like, Mills had sent us a message and I saw Mills's Facebook, I was like, she's too cool for this band. Like, she's too cool. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Like, she had, like, plugs and, like, I don't know, was, like, into like modern life is war and all this sort of stuff and i was like this no 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 this person's way too cool for what for us like dorks who are just like sitting around playing like yeah i don't know playing board games with each other and just sort of making bum jokes like she's like <laughs> yeah. no, this is not gonna work um and then obviously she turned up and was 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 really nice and really you know really friendly but also what's so funny is i remember us going to the pub after our first um practice together and, and we were all just obviously like blown through the back wall with what she could do we were like fucking hell yeah. like this we have we have struck oil gold and and 10 times more with this this is ridiculous but like i remember us going to the pub afterwards and she was like telling us all these stories about like i can't remember exactly what it was she was like oh yeah yeah my friend my friend this has has um you know is in this band and my friend this is in this and i was like oh my god like fucking hell, I have no <laughs> friends anywhere <laughs> like never mind friends in bands like this is completely insane so yeah we i was genuinely concerned for a little while i was like when she realizes like the dorks that she's like hitched her wagon to this is all gonna like fall apart within minutes but luckily luckily it all went worked out for the best yeah, yeah. and then so in terms of like the sort of like embryonic sort of like stages of ithaca and stuff like that like I think mm. it's weird, like, a lot of people, well, they probably do now, but obviously when the language of injury came out, like, it was almost like you were the quote-unquote hot new band, but you've obviously been a band for years, like, and I think some mm. people still don't realise that. So, like, when you guys kind of first started out, like, did you kind of have an idea in in mind of what, you wanted the sound to be like to what we kind of hear now or was it just sort of we're going to bring a collection of ideas together and just see what sticks yeah what's funny is speaking of that those first couple of practices before even drew came around i remember actually i think our sort of second practice together the four of us i remember coming to mills more specifically really than the other guys with like i had like three riffs 
like three and they were all really different and they all had one was like one was this sort of like um much more um screamo y twink like not twinkly but like fid a bit fiddly mm. um and was that kind of vibe and then one was a more sort of like chunky thing and then one was this sort of like slightly charity dillingery thing um and i played the three of them and she was like not in the nicest way she was like to the first two she was like nah and then the <laughs> yeah. she's like nah and then the third one she was like that's really cool can we do that and i was like done that's it yeah and that really to be honest that like massive i was like okay cool that's actually really helpful because i can like all of whatever else i was working on i can kind of bin and i can just focus on this sort of stuff and then we'll turn this sort of stuff into into what we're doing but to be honest even in our first very 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 first demo that we recorded at like a mate's house in his back garden like he had like a studio in his shed and all this sort of stuff even that if anyone manages to find it mercifully i don't think it's on the <laughs> internet anymore but if anyone manages to find that you can you can even then hear little elements of like oh yeah that's because it's like heavy charity main riff um melodic chorus and then like a big uh panic chord breakdown at the end yeah, so like yeah. it's the same rough formula but just in a lot more basic um and i think all what we've done since then is go from go from feeling like boxed in by that sound to being like what can we what can we um glue onto that vibe that we also really like so feeling a bit more free to add in like doomy riffs and you know um going super melodic and going a bit post-rocky and ambient music and you know like the journey has been just being freer to go outside of the box yeah but yeah the rough the rough vibe has been there the whole time yeah. i think and then in terms of like going out and playing shows like you mentioned like you didn't really part of like the guess the diy side of things until ithaca sort of started playing shows mm-hmm. so like I'm going to approach a different matter on this in a moment, but like just yeah. the basis of it, like what was your kind of first impression kind of going into that world? And I guess like, I don't know, not the, were you prepared because obviously you've done like the stuff with the church band and things, but like, I don't know, was it what you expected or was it kind of a bit of a culture shock? Yeah, that's an interesting question because like for the first, like, one of the reasons why it took us a while to find our feet is because as as you say we weren't we weren't really bedded in a scene and so we weren't on a necessarily on a natural direct path to like picking up momentum and excuse me particularly in the early days we really did just take anything that people would give us yeah. like anything you know and like just literally scrabbled around for shows and i think like yeah there was what a lot of what we did in the early days was like was a bit more part of like only very specific people will remember that this was a thing but there was a thing that was really prevalent in the late in the early teens to mid-teens which was like management core which was like bands who were like bands who would like pay for facebook likes and then like had a manager even though they couldn't get more than five people to <laughs> yeah. like the, the tap and tool in bloody 
you know Basingstoke on a on a Tuesday. Like there's there's one band that all, all, really yeah. springs to mind when you say that. And I think I think we both know who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, we got because like as I say, we took anything we could. We ended up doing a lot of supports in that world, mm. and like people were just not into it, obviously. Um, but we were like, whatever, we need to do this. And then I think that we kept on that sort of road until I think one of the key things was, um, do you remember Jill? He used to run the unicorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember Jill? I think the fact that Jill was generous enough to put us on a couple of bills, I think is what took us into places where we were actually a bit more enjoyed. Mm. Um, but even then, to be honest, like, because there wasn't really, the other thing about like that time was there was not really like now it feels to me anyway, like the metalcore revival thing, not that we think we're necessarily part of that at all, but like, that's what people think we are. That was not really a thing. No, like, no. I think Renounce only got together in whatever, 2014 or 13 or something. And we got together in end of 2012 and beginning of 2013. So like the first couple of years, people were like, oh, like what <laughs> yeah. is this you're doing? Like, why are you doing that old Killswitch shite? Like, why are you doing that stuff? Like it just wasn't cool or interesting to people at all. And so like, there was not really a natural, there weren't natural bands for us to tour with. There weren't natural bands for us to play with. Like, you know, employed to server a couple of years away, Palm Reader and, Stallone and the early, that early wave and also we and we weren't cool enough to play with the holy real bands that were around at the time and they also sounded so different because it was a much more of a screamo-y sort of thing um so we ended up playing a lot of a lot of like grind and power violence shows okay like we i just remember a lot at the unicorn and power lunches and places venues like that we used to just get booked with like we we did a lot of shows with Oblivion Eyes. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sammy's yeah. old grind band. And like, um, yeah, other just like, you know, we did shows where dudes would turn up with a laptop and an eight string EMG mm. and like, like tap, 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 tap. <laughs> like we did a lot of that. And like, but it, that was great. I loved that because like what those, those, those people who used to go to those shows were shockingly open-minded, like really open-minded. I think way more open-minded than a lot of hardcore people were at the time. Like it'd be some Italian dude with dreads who'd be like, I loved music. Like he was just so hyped on like, even though our music sounded nothing like anything else that was playing that night and it had all these melodic bits and you know, whatever else, like, yeah, those guys were really into it. And also the, I think what those years taught us was, um, playing with much much heavier bands was that you, ha you you can find ways of communicating aggression that doesn't have to be through your music mm. and that I think is a big part of where all the staring stuff came from you know like the really like staring people down being quite threatening on stage looking people directly in the yeah, eye yeah. and following them around the room and all the stuff that we do that people are a bit like oh that's weird why are you doing that <laughs> like a lot of that came from like because we just wanted to like we knew that there were ways of causing disruption and making people feel uncomfortable that weren't about sound yeah um which i think is a, a sort of a pretentious way of saying like you know yeah you, you you know you don't have to be heavy to be heavy right and um yeah so those years were yeah those years were really helpful for that and that's that's where a lot of the sort of antagonism that we project on stage came comes from yeah um which i think people are people are kind of into yeah like, just i'm not gonna out him because i think he's had this conversation with you anyway but I remember um, it might have been Let It Die's last show. 
but I was with Liam from Svalbard and he was talking cool. about your staring and he was like, freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> but like, in terms of that, just because obviously like having known you for a couple of years, having spent time with you and like obviously seeing you on tour and stuff like that, it is almost like a switch kind of thing. So like, mm. I don't know, has it now become like a conscious thing that you do or is it, I don't want to say like, there's off stage Sam and on stage Sam, but like, I don't know, is it just something that you kind of think in your head, like, right, I need to bring as much intensity as I can when I play, or is it just something that kind of almost happens naturally now? So, yeah, so we're about to get really pretentious, so everyone clench your sphincters <laughs> in advance. So basically, um, since really, really early on playing, I've definitely seen it as like stepping into a character when I get on stage. Right, okay. like, it is like, it is like a, it is a, it's a separate me. Yeah. It is a completely different me when I get on stage, um, particularly while the songs are playing. And that is because um, I, um, I don't like, I really don't like being aggressive in my normal life. Yeah. I do for various that you know things and reasons and things that have, have happened in my life. I do that you know there, as with all of us, there is there is quite a lot of anger that dwells inside me about various things, but also like it's just deeply cathartic. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Like, that's why we get on stage and just like scream. It's just a really like ugh, like it's a cool thing. But that 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 like thing that I'm doing, that person, the screaming and the staring and all that sort of stuff, and the flipping the bird and all the other stuff that I love to do, it's like it's um it's a bit like i'm sort of i i'm like it's like i turn my brain off and just let my like most aggressive like id or whatever yeah. like like the sort of horrible lizard monster <laughs> that like maybe dwells inside me i just like let that person do whatever it wants yeah you know, like whatever it feels appropriate like it you know you know over the years obviously it really depends on the atmosphere in the room as well like yeah yeah i get that we talk about on the podcast like some some shows some shows it's far more antagonistic to like um you know wear the lipstick and the glitter and to dance in a way to move your body in a way that's more like that's less like that maybe touches into something that's more feminine and then at some shows it's a lot more antagonistic to you know to flip people the bird and shout in their face and swear and whatever um so it does change but it's like um yeah it's just it's just me letting letting myself do literally whatever I want and whatever I think would be like disruptive or you know um aggressive yeah so I get that because like I think I'm kind of the same like I don't maybe don't like switch my brain off completely but like when like I've played shows like if it's like a small like a small show and I can see because like my band's fucking weird as fuck anyway so like if I see people that just like don't get it i'll purposely just stand right in front of them and fucking scream and stuff like that so i yeah i totally get where you're coming from with that definitely and i think it's like i mean heavy bands and have been doing that for such a long time like it's not it's i'm not claiming it's anything new at all um but i do believe very very strongly that bands should have a think about ways in which heavy bands in particular should have should be should be thinking more intentionally about ways in which they can be like disruptive and make people feel uncomfortable because mm. like um 
I don't think I don't think I guess what I'm saying is I don't think we should be embarrassed about talking about like you know yeah maybe maybe there is an element of like performance to what I'm doing and maybe there is an element of like you know like a character or a vibe or a thing I want to communicate or a thing I want to project I don't just have to like shrink into myself and like oh I'm just I'm just playing guitar and it's not a big deal it's like well no you can you're allowed to like you know you're allowed to express you should you should feel free to express yourself as crazily as you like mm. you know um you know obviously people don't have to but I think I think I think we're ready now to move away from the idea that you should be embarrassed about that sort of stuff yeah I think and I want to pick back up on that sort of element in a moment but just I want to backtrack a little bit just in terms of sort of like when you guys were first sort of like doing shows and things like that and mm. like I could be completely wrong in this but I just want to kind of bring it up anyway but obviously with yourself with your kind of Indian heritage and background still to this day there isn't a lot of people of Asian Indian sort of descent yeah. that are part of the hardcore DIY world and like mm-hmm. I don't mean to specify you, but you are in a minority no, totally. when it comes to the, that totally. kind of thing. So, like, when you were kind of doing shows, I guess, like, diversity in a broader sense is a bit better now in 2020, but it's still not perfect. But obviously back in sort of the, the mid-teens sort of thing, it was still very much white dude central kind of thing. So. Definitely. Did you get like much pushback, like personally, like when you started doing shows? Did that affect you? Like, what was it? Because I, I, again, like from knowing you and stuff, like, I guess like you've kind of embraced it now, and it's kind of part of, as you say, that kind of character that you play on stage. But was it quite difficult to deal with at first? Yeah, it's that's a really good question. Obviously, I mean, the real the person who brought the brunt of a, of the most of the bullshit was Mills, yeah. really, because you know things were, as you say, we really can't underestimate how different things were even seven or eight years ago. It was it was like some of the bullshit that she put up with people asking her. You know, Serena's talked about this as well. You know, oh, are you are you no band members only? You can't come in. You're not a member of the band. You know, like or you know, sexist promoters or people trying to like chat her up or sexist comment, you know, just endless nonsense. And I never dealt with anything nearly on the level that she dealt with. And also she's, you know, she's, she's POC as well. So adding that other element to it, I definitely knew I was different. And I think, um, and I think it definitely, I think that's why, to be honest, I do think that was one of the reasons why I sort of I kind of prepared myself in advance for it with all the staring and the screaming. Yeah. Like, I think one of the reasons why I'm so antagonistic is because I'm like, I'm not going to let you like define me. I'm not going to let you be like, Ooh, that's weird. You know, cause I know it, <laughs> it, I know some people do think it's weird and I know th- some people don't really get it and think like, Ooh, what's that about? And like, you know, um, and we have had promoters who've made funny comments and have said weird things and all sorts of stuff over the years and said really strange things to me specifically, not even just to Mills, which has been really bizarre, but, um, so the, the dynamic is at play, but like, it, it, like I think I think being being in a minority um, in this scene, I think has made me way more conscious of of the journey that we've had to go on, even in the last seven or eight years to move things forward. And I think that's one of the reasons why why as a band we're extremely outspoken is not just because it's because of you know a lot of bullshit that both Mills and I have had to put up with over the years, but also because if you know you're different 
you know you you see you see the scene through a different set of lenses than everyone else like for example i remember i had a really interesting not even debate like a very friendly but just very interesting discussion with with some members of some other bands we were touring with years ago and i just raised to them i was like and well i do think it you know i think it's just interesting because yeah you know like the scenes it's just all white men like everything like every single band we play with you know apart from maybe employed servants by the time but whatever you know like apart from some very specific exceptions it's all all men and it's definitely definitely all white like you know without any question um and isn't that interesting and both of them were just like oh yeah i'd literally never thought about that before that is weird why is that and i think like there has been a bit of an awakening in the scene that like that's not the way that it has to be Mm. that like it's not just like oh well you know because there's an underlying there there was a sort of underlying not necessarily malignant malicious or malignant but like an underlying assumption to the to to the acceptance that it was all white blokes leading dominating the scene and the women were just at best the photographers that like oh well that's just you know men form bands you know white guys are just the ones who want to do it you know there's there's sort of a lot of implicit assumptions which since then we've been more and more outspoken in trying to unpick and that's coincided, I think, with like the fact that at the time, particularly when we started, it was really gauche to like do political stuff, yeah. quote unquote. It was just not cool. It was just not like it was just really cringe. It was like, oh, what are you rage against the machine? It's like, no, <laughs> people just did not want to talk about it. And people weren't ready for the conversation. And like since it's part of a broader cultural shift, you know, it's a tiny, tiny thing, but it's it's part of a broader cultural shift of like Black Lives Matter, Me Too, and all this sort of stuff, where conversations about representation are far more um we're willing to talk about that stuff in a far more open and honest way mm. and and that has given us as a band license to like not tolerate bullshit and not just accept that a scene should be all white men like we just don't think that's in, an inherently cool system to have like and if we're not if none of us are doing anything to actively deconstruct that and make the scene more accessible to other people that's not good that is complacent and that's a problem yeah you know? And just like on a on a bit of a broader scale, and like I know you'll you'll probably say that you're not a band in that position, but from my perspective, like you are in some aspects. But because I guess since Language of Injury kind of came out, like obviously you guys got more eyes on you. Obviously, you've done more tours and things, and obviously I know Mills is dominantly the one that kind of deals with press stuff and obviously she's the one that does like your twitter and all this so they're the one that's yeah. kind of almost quote-unquote the voice of the band but i guess what i'm trying to get at is because you've got a band that has two people that are of people of color and things like that and like this isn't to me tracked away from from black people but because you're specifically indian and think like of asian sort of descendant have you found that because you're getting more press and stuff like that that people of similar backgrounds to yourself and and jamila are kind of like coming forward and being like oh i've never seen someone that i can relate to on that level like because like as i've mentioned earlier we're still not seeing enough of that representation, not necessarily just on the stage, but in venues in general. Yeah. So are you, are you yeah. seeing more of that, like, because you're in that position? 
um yeah we are just coming coming back to to the question actually um you're right that like mills does the majority of the interviews um and she does do a lot of the twitter but we do share quite a lot of stuff as well actually like a lot of the stuff like like when we're deciding what our press quotes and press releases are we'll draft she and i will often draft them together yeah. so the voice of the band um um is 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 um slightly shared but obviously but she's she's the face of it she's the like the face she's what people what she's who people want to talk rightly people who want people <laughs> yeah. want to talk to and um uh where they're sort of like the most like oh wow what's got you know like what does she have to say what's her what's her deal and all that kind of thing which is which is good because like you know yeah um that that is the way it should be um but yeah and and but for that reason it's less i've had lots of i've had it's been less for me like we've had some amazing stuff with mills like you know like i think she talked about it maybe on your podcast last time but there was a there was a girl in Cardiff who, who was wearing a hijab who came up to Mills and was like, I've never seen an Arab girl do so, this. Like, I'm going to join a band. I'm going to like do screaming and stuff. Is it Yaz? No. Oh, I think, maybe. I think, I think I know who it is. Cause they, um, they do like photography and stuff in Cardiff as well. Oh yeah. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I didn't actually, I didn't, sorry. I didn't catch the lady's name, but um, yeah, like that and loads of, loads of women of different um kind of colors and um, ancestries have come up to mills over the years and just being like i can't believe you're doing this and like and we know you know um we know that that has an inherent power like you know justine talks about seeing chloe from veils and that's what made her think like these things have knock-on effects in ways that we can't necessarily predict but i've also had a couple i've had some really interesting conversations with with indian guys who've come up to me since i to be honest, since I started wearing um, my chanlo, which is like um, what people think of, like a bindi yeah. is what it's called, but a bindi is more like the, the jewellery thing. A chanlo is, is the Gujarati word for, um, or a tilak or whatever, is when you take vermilion and you put the, the little red dot on your forehead, which is um, uh, a thing I started doing, again, to be a bit antagonistic, because anyone who recognises it, recognises it's a real, it's like a Hindu religious yeah, yeah. thing. And like, I think, you know, like, like, this is not to disrespect you, but it has kind of racist connotations, like people, like, refer to it in a certain way. It's what, like, used to, anyway. Yeah, totally, exactly, exactly. They're like, oh, you know, are you the, like, yeah, why have you got the dot on your head and all that? Yeah, totally. Like, it's something that pe- that's always a bit like, Ooh, like, and people make fun of your, fun of your parents and grandparents are wearing it and all that sort of stuff and um yeah so it's it's reclaiming that but because it's got this very specific um connotation like i've had some really interesting chats with indian indian mostly indian men uh, but maybe because maybe it's because they're more likely to be at the show but um just being like oh yeah what's what's that all about that you're wearing that because also the other reason why i wear it is because it's um the more day-to-day wearing of the the chanlo is either done by priests or normally by women. Yeah, like married women are the other women other people you normally see actually wearing one around, and um, so it's part of the like, I don't know. It's connecting me to my ancestry. It's connecting me to the women in my family who have been such a profound influence on me. But it's also a form of like very very light like drag in a way. Yeah, um, and. Um, 
yeah, so I've had, I've had, yeah, lots of interesting conversations with guys being like, why are you wearing it? What's your deal? Are you really Hindu? Are you, do you go to temple? Like all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, no, honestly, it's not about that. It's about, it's for this, this and this reason. And I think that's like, yeah, that's a, that's been really cool mm. and interesting. And kind of on that note, and this is what I wanted to kind of circle back to is kind of your like quote unquote identity as a band, like, okay i know when you did the the press shots for when the language of injury came out you were all in black and things like that but when you're on stage like each of you has an individual kind of look and style which i think is really kind of unique and interesting especially like in today's sort of age of music because like it's all well and good like for someone to get up on stage and be in a band t-shirt and jeans but there's Mills that has all her gold chains and whatever. There's mm. you and your glitter and your elaborately loud Hawaiian shirts. Always, yeah. Floral, floral <laughs> patterns all day. Will with his either his Pingu shirt but and the shortest shorts <laughs> I've yeah. ever seen. Or a yeah, shirt with your face donned on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like I don't know. Was again? Was that just kind of like a natural thing that like just kind of happened, and then you were like, "Oh, this is a thing. We should carry on doing it." Or was that a conversation yeah. that you had as a band? So actually, we came to it when Mills and I were chatting with Paul, the guy who directed the Impulse Crush video, right? When we were thinking about like what sort of look we want to go for, and we sort of together we came up with the idea in that that in that video what we're going to do is like go from the all black which was initially as you say that was the look that we were like look quote unquote but that was the vibe we were like giving off initially like and then like we're switching to like ah no this is us now this is our vibe and what it is is like completely the opposite of that we're going from like all black to as as far away from possible as, as possible from the all black as it could be and that's when like because that's when the confetti came in and that's when the glitter really probably came in and the lipstick and all of it. And that's, yeah, that is, that is where the look started. It was like, we're going to transition from one thing to a completely different thing in order to like challenge ourselves and challenge people to like think of heavy music in a different way. And just to be different, as you say, like you've got to make yourself, as a band, you've got to make yourself stand out. And also it's, yeah, it's just, it's fun too. Um, so yeah, it was quite intentional. It was definitely like a conversation that we had. We were like, right, now we're going to be more like this. And and when we do the next record, we'll we'll probably have another one. Like we'll probably switch to a whole new vibe. Yeah. Like there'll be another thing for that record, which will start to like, when we start touring, you know, either, either if live music comes back next year and we start doing shows and we start playing those songs live or when we release that album and start touring, will look hopefully completely different yeah um again and then in terms of kind of like the release of the record like i don't want to kind of stick on it too much because i obviously spoke to mills about it at length at the time but i guess like kind of like the reaction to it is i think i think speaking to you guys isn't something that you were kind of expecting but it's obviously mm-hmm. very welcome but from an outsider looking in obviously knowing you like from when you were doing like, the, as you say, like the little shows at the unicorn playing with my band in, in our shitty little venue here in Portsmouth and things like that to now doing like festival slots and things like that. Have you kind of 
and obviously like you're doing more tours as well now like have you kind of i don't know like because of the reaction have you kind of now taken a more focused approach to the band and kind of put more emphasis on it because like because the wheels are in motion now because obviously that that album took a long time to to get going mm. and finally be out but but because now you've got the momentum are you just kind of running with it and seeing where it goes that's a really interesting question kind of um it's weird like as with every band there's an extent to which every, every what everyone's doing is just trying to balance the scales within their lives of priorities mm. and you know all of us have got full-time jobs all of us actually like our job you know we're not just doing shitty jobs on the side to pay the rent while we do our real passion which is band necessarily all of it you know or, or the majority of us really like our jobs um so it's not that we've like yeah yeah it's not that we've necessarily like been like right now we're going to do band properly we're still put i mean we've always been working really hard at it from our side we, it's always felt to us like we've been working yeah yeah you know when you're when you're driving back from cardiff at, you know at, like you leave at one o'clock in the morning you get back at four and then you've got, got to go to work and lead a meeting the next morning it doesn't feel like you're self-peddling it you know <laughs> yeah. but, um but obviously and, and also the other thing is i think like language did take a long time to come out but that was partly because of reasons that were out of our control um you know like losing my mum like the the just various delays with we we also made some mistakes in terms of not knowing exactly how the process went in terms of like when do we record when do we do this when do we do that how long do this like we didn't understand yeah. how long the lead-in times of things were and so like language was ready for ages like it was ready for a lot longer than people thought it was um, and we just had to sit on it some of which because because of our own mistakes some of which was outside circumstance you know blah 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 um on the other hand i think um i think like lockdown weirdly has been really good for making meaning the writing process is going quicker but also like i feel really strongly that like you just can't rush stuff like it, it's gonna happen when it happens yeah. and like I don't think as long as this band exists, we'll never be able to work to a label's timetable. Like we'll, we'll, <laughs> the record will be ready when it's ready. Unfortunately, you know, like I like we can move faster and we can get together more like every week to do writing together and we can like really work on stuff and we can push harder. But if I've if I or, or we have not got the ideas to turn into good good enough songs that meet the standard that we're going for, then it's not going to happen. Mm. So. Um, and, and if it wasn't like that, if we had to work to really strict deadlines, I don't know if we'd be able to do it. Not just, I don't know if we want to do it. I just don't know if it'd be physically possible, you know? So, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a bit, I think that's probably a bit of an arrogant thing to say, but that's because we've made a choice that like, no, no, we, th because we're not doing this for a career, we're only doing this for joy and creative expression. We're only going to do it within the time frame that we- Yeah, yeah, choose, that's fair enough. Know. So, um, but obviously, you know, at the same time, as you say, like we're making really good progress with the writing. And I think that's partly, we did also learn some really good lessons about how we write the best, how things like happen more efficiently. Um, and yeah, how do, how do we get stuff from ideas to songs quicker than maybe last time? Yeah. And then just to bring the focus on you a little bit, because you touched upon like your job and sort of have the band having jobs that they enjoy. And uh -huh. some people may know this, some people don't, but 
I think you've got a pretty cool job in terms of like the campaigning for <laughs> Thanks, Greenpeace sort of thing. So how did you kind of get involved in, in that sort of side of things? And like, because again, like have known you for, for a few years now, like you're very like switched on politically and things like that. And obviously you, the last election, you were one of these people that was going door to door knocking and things like that. So like, yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> but like, sad times. Where is where did that kind of like campaigner sort of activist sort of side of you come from, and like, how did that kind of veer into your career? Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks for thinking my job is cool. By the way, I, I really like <laughs> it. Um, yeah, um, it came from so like actually they happened in parallel. I think a lot of this stuff. Okay. So like, when I was getting into rock music heavy music guitar music you know alternative culture all that stuff it was also like the height of the bush years and the blair years and so like it 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 was a bit part of i don't know if it maybe felt this way to you but definitely felt to me like it was a little bit part of it that you at least had a baseline like yeah fuck blair fuck bush like the rock war sort of vibe you know that was a big a really big thing for us and i mean the iraq war was a huge um politicizing moment for many people in my generation it certainly was for me but um i mean you know like it was really basic bitch stuff like genuinely like listening to rage against the machine reading reading books and like you know like as uh, that's that's another funny thing about my dad's whole thatcher thing was even though obviously we had completely different political values he he I could tell like I was sort of grew up in a house where like chatting about those things wasn't weird or uncomfortable yeah. you, know? I mean, you know like a lot of people get very squeamish about talking about politics whereas me and my dad when I was over the years would get into like big back and forths about this stuff which I think was great because it like it helped me to hone down like what do I actually think about stuff and what you know what are my beliefs and what are my values and those kind of things but um yeah like just just I've always been into politics like you know, I did political stuff like ran in the fake election at school and like, um, I don't know, yeah, gave speeches about the Iraq war in school and stuff. And like, I think like, like my teenage zealotry that came from my faith and also from being on the heavy music scene, which can be very zealot-like in its own way, that stoked up my sense of like getting, becoming politically active. Yeah. And I've always wanted to like, yeah, I've always wanted to do political stuff. I've always been passionate about like, hopefully fingers crossed like making some positive change in the world if possible and like yeah so and then did politics for a degree and all that kind of stuff so so because obviously yeah. like again people may not know this or not but like you've obviously done a lot of like political like speeches and stuff like that with your job and and things like that and like you've yeah, appeared yeah. on t- on tv and, and things like that and i remember like even saying to you like in my old job we got like a press release and you your name was the one that was quoted and i was sort of like this is this is fucking weird like these, these... this is wild yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the hell but like who let that guy like put his name on the i know that idiot the guy who flips the bird to people in pubs <laughs> yeah. at least. but like i don't know how have you kind of like embraced that sort of world like because like again knowing you you're such like an eloquent speaker and like things like that have you just kind of developed that and like do you enjoy that side of things and is that why you're kind of, i don't want to say you're the face of greenpeace but like you're kind of one of those spokespeople for it 
yeah, I mean, there were um, too many compliments in that question for me to be talking <laughs> about them, so I'm just going to move on. But, um, uh, and just take it like that I ignore and rebuke all of them. But um, yeah, um, as I say, I've always like growing up in a household where like political chat was encouraged. My uncle's big in like, he loves a good like meaty debate and like getting into it. And like, it's just, it just wasn't weird in my family to like have big conversations about those things. Um, so it's been around, but I guess also like, yeah, I mean, I, I also, I also like, I enjoyed, I did some things when I was young, you know, like the church stuff. I did drama classes when I was a kid. Um, even that, like I, I did drama stuff, like, cause my sister did drama and I was like, God, that sounds really fun. Can I do it? But I was really embarrassed about it because like drama, because it was the noughties that was like gay. Yeah. Was yeah, gay yeah. To do drama. Um, but I did it anyway because I wanted to. Um, and like, yeah, I've always loved, I've always enjoyed performing. I like talking about stuff as you know, like, because I'm over over earnest and too sincere it's difficult for me to like if I'm passionate about something it's it's I, I don't keep my cards close to my chest which for a campaigner is quite useful because it, you can help if if you're on a on a good day you can help get other people excited or annoyed about the things you want them yeah, to, yeah. to get excited or annoyed about and I think one of the few things I I, I feel confident that I'm good at is I, I know I, I've I've definitely like which I think is something, again, something I learned from other people, is like, I think I do know how to take something that's a reasonably complicated concept and condense it down into its parts that actually hopefully mean something to people outside of that, the world of the people who are just debating it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, um, uh, yeah. And also, to be honest, like, I've had some amazing, Greenpeace has, has take, taken, really taken it a step up because it's given me loads more opportunities than I ever would have had. And so, like, man, you know, my first, I, I was like, I said to my boss at Greenpeace when I first joined, I was like, oh, I'd really love to do some tele interviews. I'd love to give that because that would be a really cool skill to have and that'd be really interesting. And then um, they put me forward. And my first ever tele interview was live on Sky News with Kay Burley. And it was like, <laughs> fucking shat myself. Like, I'd never done a tele interview before, never done a live interview. And also, I wasn't in the studio. I was just wired up to an earpiece. Yeah. So they just counted me down and were like, right, Sam, you're going to be live with Kay in five, four, three. And then it was like, you just have to do it. And because of that, like, shit your pants immersion therapy that I got to do with Greenpeace I feel so much, I don't feel that nervous about it anymore yeah. like I can do a reasonable I can do telly stuff without getting too freaked out about it because I don't it doesn't yeah it doesn't scare me as much anymore um does that answer your question in any yeah. way Probably not, but, uh, <laughs> no you're good and um, rambling I just said I was good at explaining complicated concepts and I can't even talk about <laughs> what I'm doing <laughs> so who knows who knows really and this might be way too broad a question but i'm gonna ask it anyway but like for you specifically like in the role that you're doing now like mm -hmm. what would be your kind of i guess dream scenario because like, i think like obviously everyone knows like the work that greenpeace is doing and maybe not necessarily like under the surface but they know the umbrella that kind of greenpeace covers but mm. is there like one like a specific area that you like within your work that you're like if I can do that then I've achieved my not my dream but like my goal kind of thing mm. whoa what a great question <laughs> um ah oh, geez yeah I think like 
it's a long laundry list of stuff that needs to happen to get where we need to go yeah. on the climate side. But I think if there's a if there's a single kind of like um, unifying idea that I would really like us to, which I think very 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 slowly we're being dragged towards in the public consciousness, it is the idea that like it is it is the idea of like that the, the boxes that we put climate quote unquote environment you know biodiversity nature forests and justice quote unquote that these don't exist in or human rights you know they don't exist in separate boxes yeah but it's like oh now we're doing human rights and now we're doing climate and now we're doing this and now we're doing that the dream obviously is to as so many people are working their asses off to do particularly obviously PSC and indigenous people like bring those worlds together and understand that like you're never going to solve the climate crisis unless you give people decent accommodation decent housing decent jobs you know like it's just not gonna you're never gonna get the democratic buy-in to like do the stuff you need to do to reduce carbon emissions unless people are bought into the idea that it has some value and benefit for them and that it's not just another thing that's gonna exclude them or grind them into the mud you know um there has yeah there has to be there has to be an understanding um which even greenpeace is really grappling with at the moment that like yeah, the boxes don't exist far away from each other. And to do climate work, you have to do justice work and vice versa. Yeah. I think that's as best as I can come up with for like a singular, no, that's cool. a singular thing. But yeah. Does that answer? Yeah. That? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty like, cool. um, before I kind of like round things off, obviously we'll come back to just what Ethica's doing at the moment. And obviously uh -oh. you were recently in the studio, obviously you mentioned you've kind of in the process of writing record two but obviously you did the the thrice tribute thing for for 2000 trees so how did that kind of come about was it something they approached you for and like did you get to pick the song or did they say can you do this how did that all come about yeah that was a really fun one because trees just asked they just sent us an email saying oh we're doing this thing mills and i uh big Thrice fans from back in the day and I particularly am a massive oh no both of us are massive Vice fans um like a big influential album on both of us um and so we were like yeah this sounds great and and, and again funny weird byproduct like because of lockdown we actually had the time to do it yeah. like we've been asked before to do st I don't I don't know how other bands managed to do this but you know we've been asked to do some really cool stuff over the years where you know some massive you know metal magazine gets in touch with us right we're doing a slipknot covers album um do you want to do a cover ithaca and we're like yeah brilliant and they're like cool we need it in a week and uh we need it to be professional quality and we're like no we cannot do that like we all have jobs like we can't do that like the sheer logistics of getting that together when you don't have like a functioning home studio or like i don't know whatever i don't know how they do it other bands but they do um it's just ridiculous whereas because of lockdown trees gave us a couple of weeks notice and we could actually do it yeah. we were like we found simon he was free um and then we we're like all right cool let's let's give it a go um so yeah it was yeah funny funny byproduct of of of, of the lockdown yeah. for sure and in terms of the the new record like where are you sort of process wise with that mm. we are i think about halfway okay i think um 
I'm not sure if I should be saying this. We've set an internal <laughs> deadline of having a first draft by the end of the year. Okay, cool. But a, f- a first draft could be like really right. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just having a rough, getting us, you know, because I think we've got like, we've got about five tracks that are getting to like, yes, this is great. This works. Like we're all really excited about them. This is really cool. And I think when we start getting into the like eight or nine, um, decent fully formed tracks then that's what that in my head is like a first draft and then that will go through a whole process of like really like fine tooth like we did with language of injury like fine tooth coming like does this section still work are we still excited about this bit does those drums work does that riff work you know like really like picking it apart before we go into record um so in a dream scenario i'd like us to think about recording at some point early next year yeah um obviously it's all tbc with our lives lockdown or no lockdown yeah yeah you know whatever but but again as i say because we've got a bit more time we're making we're, we're kind of getting there um just last weekend we like we all went away we went down to the beach together to to write um which was so fun and i definitely recommend bands to do it like go away together and just like sit in a room and write but um we made some really good progress there as well. Like actually having focused time to like chew over stuff and be like, actually, we wrote this a couple of months ago, but it sucks. And it's, been <laughs> yeah. it. it's like a really good, a really good process. It's really healthy. So, yeah, I think that's that's about where we are. But what I, what I will also say though is we are like we're feeling really, really good at the moment. Yeah, we're really hyped, and we know this is not like cocky or arrogant. We know people are going to like it. It's good. Like we're happy with it. Yeah, it's cool nice step forward it's going to be a bit more experimental well quite a lot more experimental and just like i think i think people will get it yeah. they'll like it and it's good that's cool but yeah it's it's all it's all feeling good to us at the moment and just like something that you briefly touched upon earlier but like i kind of want to f- see how you kind of fell into the role and obviously seeing you in that role is kind of as you said like band dad and yeah, like yeah you saying about like the whole kind of you guys going away to the beach for a couple of days and when we were on tour like you said like when you've been on tour before like you've always made a conscious effort of like taking the guys Mm -hmm. out and being out in nature and stuff but so how did you kind of fall into the role of band dad and is that something that you enjoy doing yeah um how did I fall well I mean I fell into the role initially because as I say it was me who was like kind of driving the like let's get this band thing together but also because, like, I don't know, I think, oh, God, sorry, cringe answer has been coming again, <laughs> so brace yourself. But I think, I think, like, I'm, I'm, because I'm, like, I'm, I'm up for stuff, and I don't mind, I'm happy to sort of lead stuff and take it on and be like, right, yeah, let's do this, let's take it forward. It also, I mean, it also really does depend on what it is. Like, I'm not full, some band dads I know are, like, band dad for everything you know they do like all the press yeah, and all yeah. the tours and all the this and all that whereas because because mills a writes the lyrics but and b um as you say does loads of social media stuff does press does merch crucially she looks after merch which is such a blessing and like there's other massive chunky things that she does i can focus on the the, the stuff that i enjoy leading on which is like yeah booking driving the van corralling everyone to practices corralling everyone to writing like i drive I, I definitely push the music side of it forward more yeah um and also yeah when we're when we're on tour i don't know 
I, I, t I tend, as you know, like, because you've done it, like, I tend to be the one who, like, okay, so we're going between here and here, there's a beach there, so we can, if we leave at this time, we can go to the beach, and then we can do the show, and, you know, like, I tend to proactively come up with that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of which is as much for my own benefit as the rest of the band, honestly, you know, because, like, you get, like, you get an afternoon of beach on a heavy tour, and you're suddenly, you just feel like a new person. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I just I just fell into it partly. Yeah, I like it. It's fun, um, and I think I'm all right at it. <laughs> yeah. um, and also, but also, like again, as I say, like Will and Lewis is Will and Lewis could easily, and 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 Mills could too. They could all easily be the band dad if they wanted. This is not a, it's not a, like a reflection on them not being capable or organised, but because particularly for um, Will and Lewis, like their their temperaments are fairly like easygoing, like cool, let's do this, let's do that. Um, they um, it helps them to have in a more in more of a role of like helping things. Whereas I can just take on like right, 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 you know, I'll go do this, and yeah, let's do yeah, that, and, yeah. So um, yeah, I think it just works. That's cool, perfect, right, Sam? How I usually like to end these is to ask my guests what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, what's your favourite Ithaca song that you'd like to play live and why? Whoa. Um, oh, I could no, sooner choose the stars in heaven. No, um, <laughs> uh, no they're, they're all terrible. I think it's um, a really good question. It, uh, it, it's normally... Yeah. When when we yeah my favorite one to play live I think is um, is probably Youth versus Wisdom yeah, because yeah. it's just straight down just straight mosh like and it also tends to come um, we play it set normally I don't think we'd be doing this anymore but we tend to play it like third in the set and it, Youth versus Wisdom tends to be the point at which like I decompress and relax because I'm like okay we're in it now yeah this tune is easy to play it's really fun I can throw myself around we're in the we're in the set you know like we found the thing um and also because it's got a big chunky beat down at the end it tends to like be a good um signal to the crowd like <laughs> are you going to enjoy this or not yeah. <laughs> like are you really really not yeah. and so like if we're at a hardcore show and we play that people might be like oh okay yeah maybe this band are all right whereas if we're at a like uh, non-hardcore show people are like oh my god yeah <laughs> like at the big thief shows we were like jesus christ what is this horror um yeah, that's probably that's probably my answer. Perfect, brilliant, Sam. Thank you very much for for doing this. Hopefully, pleasure. I will be seeing you face to face sooner rather than later because lockdown shit. But yeah, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Pleasure, man. Fingers crossed. Let's let's see each other soon. Yeah, That'd man. Be really nice. Cool. Right. Take it easy, my friend. Nice one. See you see later. later. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to Sam for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. Um, it's weird how, like, when you're chatting with with someone that you know kind of well, that like how much you kind of miss being in a space with them and, and sort of catching up with them face to face. But it was really cool to get Sam on this. Uh, as I said, kind of at the end of the chat, I hope it's not long before I'm in a room with him and seeing him perform live again. But yeah. Um, as always, you can keep up to date with everything that Ithaca are doing on various social media platforms, which links will be put in the uh, show notes, so you can go check out all those wonderful things as always. Um, 
and yeah, as I said, no episode for, for next week, but as always, if you do like what you hear, whether this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 167th time you're listening, please rate, subscribe, review on whatever pub- podcast, can't say the word, podcast platform that you're listening to this on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it seems like kind of since we kind of came back after all my technical difficulties at the beginning of the year that this has kind of picked up. So I really appreciate everyone who's who does listen and shares this out and gets this out into the world. I didn't mention it at the beginning of the show, but the chat last week with Anya seemed to get really good good attention on it. So let's keep that that feeling, keep that momentum going and push us up those podcast charts. It would really, really help and validate me. Um, but yeah, anyway, as I say, um, that's it for this week. Won't be here next week. We'll be back on October 27th. But thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast and I will see you soon.